Hello and welcome to another edition of the Informal MLB Pod. It's week four. We are coming off a one-week hiatus, but we're back. It's Lewis and Lewis. I'm here with Aaron Lewis. How are you doing, Lewis? Lewis, I'm doing good. I have to apologize for the just mass stream of events such as Bonnaroo, such as work, such as life that's delayed the return, but we're back, ready to talk baseball, so here we go. Unfortunately, we have yet to see any large sponsorship dollars come through that will allow us to shirk our other responsibilities and put our full time into this pod. We're still on the lookout. If you own a business and want to pay us to pimp your business, we will do that. But in the meantime, we're going to keep doing this part-time and getting out pods whenever we can. But the first thing we need to talk about, Lewis, the first thing, the most important thing is Bonnaroo. You have to tell me about Bonnaroo. <laughs> How'd it go? Someone died and it wasn't you, so yeah, that's a positive. I mean, yeah, How, already, you can already say that people had worse Bonnaroo's than I did. They did. Alive, yeah. yeah. You survived. You know, no, absolutely. No, Bonnaroo, I'll put it this way, is a good time no matter what. Like I've, I've talked to people at Bonnaroo who said, I'm not the kind of person to go, and they've had a great time. Bonnaroo is a 10 out of 10 time if you're into being sweaty all the time, it being 90 <laughs> degrees outside, listening to like bands you could have seen in Nashville, but this time you paid $300 for it. Uh, so no, I had a great time personally. This is my second year going, by the way. I'm not a rookie, but you know one of the young guys out there. So no, Bonnaroo, great time. If anyone ever is debating whether to go to it or not, I would recommend going at least once. Sweat it out. It'll be a good time. Well, I personally love sleeping outside on the ground in Manchester, Tennessee, so I'm, I'm down next year. I mean, I'm in. I've heard it in Lebanon here in a few weeks, so yay. Perfect. I mean, sleeping outside in June is always my favorite time of year. You yeah. know, that's the best thing to do. Is there anything else we need to talk about before we jump right into this? I think, did Kanye put out a new album since the last time we, we potted? I don't remember. He's got two new ones. Well, I, I, you say that. I mean, so two weeks ago, actually, while I was at Bonner, he put out the album with Kid Cudi, which, of course, I think is amazing. <laughs> Last week, he did the album with Nas, which is like six years in the making. So that was a good listen. He's got one left, man. One left this summer. Tiana Taylor comes out uh, on Friday. So the summer of Kanye is almost over. There you go, Lewis. See, I have no idea about Kanye, except for what I hear from you. Sure. And maybe one day we'll deep dive Kanye. Because... Little known fact, it's lost to history. You actually wrote an article for the informal publication. <laughs> RIP. RIP. RIP in, informal US, informal publication at gmail.com. There's a great article that came out, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years ago at this point of Lewis talking about music. It's fantastic. Read it. We'll get into that one day. It's still on the internet somewhere. Go find it. But we're going to talk about baseball today. It's been two weeks since we've potted. A lot of things have happened. Nothing more influential, nothing more uh, tear-jerking than Shohei Otani being mm-hmm. hurt, Lewis. It's a tragedy. We kind of knew it was coming because before the season started, you know, they came out and said he had the UCL strain, mm-hmm. and everybody was like, oh, it's fine. Let's not think about it. Well, now it's a grade two UCL strain, which is worse, and he's on the shelf. I do have a little bit of breaking news for you here. I've, I've got a Bill Shaken tweet the from, scoops. from yesterday. Scoops, informal publication, uh, exclusive Bill Shaken, friend of the pod, says uh, the Angels' medical staff is very optimistic about Otani's prognosis, and they are still hoping he will get back at some point this year. I don't buy it. He's going to have Tommy John surgery. Everyone has Tommy John surgery. Lewis, how does this affect your baseball-watching experience? How did you react to the news? Uh, just commiserate with me. I mean, the way I reacted was that, so I think the news broke like a day or two before I left for Bonnaroo, and I was talking to my brother Wayne about it, who's also a huge um, baseball fan, but unfortunately a Red Sox fan. And he said that, you know, it's more of a precautionary type thing. So I was like, okay, that's fine. I'm a little bit worried, but I can go out of town, come back, be okay. By the time I got back, it had gone from, in you know, his words, a precautionary measure to more of maybe a precursor to Tommy John surgery. So as soon as I heard that, my first thought was, 
Well, the angels have sunk several years, a lot of money into the sky. I'd say, excuse me, like you said, Tom and John is probably on the way. So, no, I've tried not thinking about it because, one, it's completely tanked the angel season, in my opinion. They, I mean, they, they went from, like, battling for first place there for a couple of weeks, and now I think they're four or five games over 500. So, uh, unfortunately, this is kind of news to just rattle an organization. They're completely out of it now. Uh, Mike Trout is still otherworldly. Um, Evan Gaddis won the AL Player of the Year, Player of the Week this mm-hmm. week, and I saw his stats side by side with Evan Gaddis. He literally was half as good as Mike Trout yeah. this week. Um, but you know, it's like Michael Jordan in the '90s. You can't give him the MVP every year, I guess. But they have the best player in the world. They have the best player in a long time, maybe in the history of baseball, and they still can't put it together. It. I just feel bad for baseball fans. I loved watching Shohei Otani pitch so much, and he's doing the the PRP thing, which mm-hmm. I think. Garrett Richards did last year and he ended up not having to have Tommy John surgery but he still missed like 11 months so I mean they're optimistic he's coming back I don't buy it Uh, Jeff Sullivan has kind of a running joke where no matter what happens to a pitcher he says well it's Tommy John surgery because it almost always is I think Shohei Otani's first diagnosis was blisters on his hand and then now (laughs) now it's Tommy John yeah now it's Tommy John Um, so we're you know hope and pray that, that Shohei Otani doesn't have the surgery but assuming he does, he's out for the rest of this year. He's out for next year. Mm. Lewis, I'm going to ask you a question that I didn't tell you I was going to ask you because I want your raw Here we go. and unfiltered emotions about this. I'm not ready. Mike Trout is only signed through 2020. Okay. No Shohei Otani the rest of this year, the rest of next year. This is an assumption, but the scoops tell me that he's probably out for two years. Yeah. Why don't the Angels trade Mike Trout at the deadline this year? I mean, at the deadline this year because – Lord, that's a good question because I really don't have an answer I to mean, that. I mean, you know, he's the best player in the world. He's under contract for two years after this year, but they're not making the playoffs this year. No, Lord, no. And if Otani's not hurt, division. they're not making the playoffs next year either. Yeah. You know, we're getting to a point where if he, he signed, Trout signed a six-year extension, he could have right then and there signed the biggest contract in Major League history, and he mm-hmm. didn't do it. Because he wanted to hit the free agent market. So if he's going to become a free agent, they're going to have to trade him eventually. He's still going to hit that biggest contract ever. And he's going to hit it in 2020, yeah. in the offseason after 2020. Yep. So every day that you wait, you're losing trade value. Sure. No, and Mike Trout, I, I had an argument with somebody about this the other day. You know, it was a whole Mike Trout, LeBron James type thing. I told him, like, the way, the best way to describe Mike Trout, in my opinion, with the Angels, is imagine LeBron James on the Cavaliers, but with no Kevin Love. Like, as bad as that team already is around him, imagine if you took away, far and away, his second-best player, that's Shohei Itani, to Mike Trout. And so you've got a team that, like, even the best player of our generation can't lip along the playoffs because you've got the Mariners, you've got the Astros. They're going to outpace them. And in regards to the trade thing, it's another one of those deals where, yeah, kind of like you mentioned, logic says you shouldn't let his trade value sink that low if you're going to let him walk away eventually. But now that you say that, my first reaction is, what would you demand for Mike Trout? What is he worth on the open market? If you trade him right now, two and a half years of, of service time left under, you know, he's making like 20 or 25 mm-hmm. million, which sounds like a lot, but for Mike Trout, it's a bargain. I mean, it's probably yeah. half of what he's going to make if he ever reaches free agency. Yeah. So you have the most valuable asset in baseball. I don't think that's debatable at this point. Mm-hmm. I think you've got to get, I mean, I think about this from a Braves perspective because I know the most about the Braves system. So, mm-hmm. If he were going to be traded to the Braves, which I don't think will happen, I mean, obviously, but I think that you'd have to start with Ronald Acuna, the number one prospect. Of course, yeah. The number one prospect in, in the game. And that, that probably ain't going to do it. Oh, no, no, not close. Then I think you have to demand 
Mike Soroka. Yeah, top pitching guy. Top pitching prospect, a guy who's already had some success in the major leagues. And then I think you want you probably want a two or three more top ten prospects out of the Braves organization, which sounds like a lot, but if you're the team that trades Mike Trout in his prime, mm-hmm. it's, there's an, an old adage about the NBA where you never want to be the team that trades the superstar because you never won the trade yeah. when you trade the superstar. You're not going to win a Mike Trout trade because no. in ten years when Mike Trout is the best player of all time, you know, you're still going to be the team that traded him, but you better get – a package of players that can help you become a better team going forward. And it's got to start with young guys who are, first of all, have superstar potential mm-hmm. and are ready to play in the major leagues. Imagine if Mike Trout just like right now decided, I want out, and started dictating a trade and started dictating where he wanted to go. NBA players. Oh, Lord. I mean, he, he could probably pull a whole AAA team with his trade value to some places, I bet. Especially if he's willing to sign an extension right uh, away. Oh, I mean, if he told the team right now, if he told the team like the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Cubs, I will sign a five to six year extension right, or probably even longer for him right now, that would be just astronomical the amount of prospects it would take. I I mean, it's. I almost would say it wouldn't even be prospects because, yeah, you would want prospects, but you want prospects that are close enough to the big leagues oh, yeah. that you can see returns right away. I mean, you can you can give me a single A guy who's got huge potential, yeah. but you never know what's going to happen to that guy. I want guys who are ready to come in and play. You're right. And I think just talking through this, talking out loud, if you're the Angels, I think you go to Trout first of all, and you offer to make him the highest paid athlete of all oh, time. Oh yeah. I mean. 10 years, 12 years, what do you want? You know, 35, 40 million a year. Let's do it. And if he won't do it, if he won't sign the extension, I think you got to trade him. I think it's probably best to wait for wait for the offseason. But, I mean, if he won't sign long-term, you're just losing value every day you wait. Yeah, I don't want to spend too much on Mike Trout because we have other things to discuss. But just thinking about it, I mean, he's 26 years old. He's not going to settle for anything less than a 10-year deal, right? And he shouldn't. He, oh, I agree. No, absolutely. And he'll, he'll get 10 years. If he got hurt right now and could not play the rest of the season, he'd still make $400 million. I mean, we might be talking about the first guy ever to get a half-a-billion-dollar contract with any team ever. So uh, that's mind-blowing to me. I think if he if he makes it through the, the end of this contract and hits the free agent market and there's no drastic change in the way baseball players are compensated, if there's no salary cap or anything like that, I think he's easily going to go over $500 million because you got Harper Machado coming up this year who – are probably gonna, I would say, push you know four hundred, uh-huh. maybe not get there, but be well over three hundred, and then it's two years beyond that, and a player better than that, it's gonna be five hundred million. But that's beside the point. I would Harper would get it if he could hit a ball. I know. I, yeah, if Harper wasn't batting <laughs> two twenty, you know, uh, further cementing the Braves as the favorite in the NL East. We can talk about the Braves in a little while. Yeah, but, we'll get there. But moving on from that, the. Other thing I wanted to talk to you about was another pitcher who got hurt. This one was not as sad. It was hilarious to me. <laughs> Masahiro Tanaka was hitting um, because pitchers still have to hit in the you know in the National League, and he pulled both of his hamstrings. Which I, I don't know what happened. It doesn't make any sense to me. It seems to be physically impossible to pull both hamstrings at the same time. Just goes to show you that pitchers are not athletes, no matter what regular co-host of this podcast, Austin Coley, would say. I want to know what youth coach he had that taught him to hit, but somehow he made it this far and tore or pulled both hamstrings hitting the ball. It's amazing to me that these guys. Well, you know, he he hasn't hit since he's been in the big leagues. Yeah, he didn't hit in Japan. He probably didn't hit in youth baseball over there. He probably hasn't hit in 15 or 20 years. Yeah. And the first time he has to run hard, he pulls both hamstrings. This is hilarious to me. But I bring this up because I want to have the DH debate with you. Sure. And I don't know where you stand on this. It might not be a debate. But 
I think this just typifies the fact that it is ridiculous that pitchers hit in the major leagues. I don't understand it. You have like two in the whole league that are halfway competent, and they're really not. Even the good, even Madison Bumgarner is not good at hitting. He's not good. Oh, Lord, and no. no one enjoys watching it. They're awful at it. It's an automatic out. Why are we still doing this? Why is it the DH in the National League? I'm actually glad you said that uh, as your opinion because I'm the opposite. I say make him hit. I kind of thought you would, so that's why I call this the debate. So sell me on it because no, I've mean, been out on the DH for a while. Yeah, for the most or part. in on the DH, out on pitchers. Hit. Yeah, not just really in baseball. For the most part in sports, I'm a purist. I like seeing things as far back as possible, like you know, just embracing the history, embracing the original rules of the game. And the original rules of baseball, you had nine players, nine players played in the field, nine players hit. And so every time you know, I watch one of those old games – where you got pitchers who are hitting 220, 230, 240. You know, obviously, they're not good, but they're fine enough to go out there and not embarrass themselves. Now, you've got guys who will get 200 at-bats in a season. Maybe not 200 at-bats, but they'll get 100 at-bats in a season. Won't have more than two or three hits, which is pathetic in my opinion. Uh, and I, I, I don't know where in baseball you would know more about this than me. Like In high school, how much do the pitchers get instruction in hitting? None. Yeah, no. okay. So is that where it ends? None at all. Because if you go to like the little leagues, like when you're 8, 9, 10, up through like, in my opinion, 13, 14 years old, the best player on the field is the pitcher. You know, the pitcher goes out there, he pitches the whole game, he goes in and he hits. So I guess it must be high school, you're right, where they stop teaching, which is a travesty to me. I want to see more Showtani's, I want to see more Brendan McKay's. I'm tired of the hitter being automatic out. I say, go back to keep the original rules. If it was up to me, I'd eliminate the BH personally in the American League, but that's a whole other story altogether. Charlie Culberson just made a fantastic <laughs> catch. We're watching the Braves. My goodness, what a play. What a play we by pro- Culberson. We promise we're not dodging the subject. We're not dodging the subject. I have thoughts. Okay. All right. So, all right, let me reorganize my thoughts yeah. here. So, in theory, I agree with you. Okay. The best form of baseball is nine players playing, nine players hitting, nine mm-hmm. players hitting competently. Yeah. That's ideal. That doesn't happen. There, It doesn't happen at all. Pitchers don't care about hitting. Mm. Their teams don't care about them hitting. Bobby Cox used to say when a pitcher hit a ground ball, he up easy. Don't even run it out. Come right. back to the dugout. Don't don't, do Masa, don't Masahiro Tanaka yourself. <laughs> when the number one goal of an event is don't hurt yourself, yeah. why are we doing this event? Sure. It shouldn't happen anymore. I read an article on The Ringer by Ben Lindbergh. A couple, it's been a couple of weeks ago now. I, I did these show notes a while back. You know, life happens. But in his article, he cited a bunch of old newspaper articles from the late 1800s, the 1920s, the 1940s, about writers back then talking about how ridiculous it was that pitchers were hitting. Because even back really? then, they couldn't hit. Really? And it was not as bad as it is now. You know, like you said, it's guys hitting 210, 220. Mm-hmm. It's not just the joke that it is now. But this has been a thing for the history of baseball. The skill set you need to be a good pitcher is completely different from a skill set you need to be a good hitter. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't make the best hitters in baseball pitch an inning every so often. True. You know, they don't have to go out and get three outs at the end of every game. So I don't understand the argument necessarily of a guy should have to be a well-rounded player because hitters aren't well-rounded players. They can't pitch. That's true. They, hit, yeah. they play defense. So while my first choice would be pitchers care about hitting and get decent at it, that's not going to happen. So mm-hmm. I would rather see a competent hitter hitting in that spot as opposed to you know poor Mike Soroka going out there and having to deal with Jacob DeGrom. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just 
I don't know, Lewis. It, I think it's going to go away. I think we're getting DH in both leagues before, yeah. you know, in the next few years. Man. And I can't wait. I can't wait. As a as a high school DH, you know, I'm all about the DH. I'm here for the DH. Sure. I, I ride or die with the DH. Bring me more DH. And maybe that's where our opinions differ because, of course, I sucked at baseball. I never <laughs> got past, like, Little League at the age of 15. But, no, if I was 15 years old and you told me that our best player, you know, our pitcher is going to get DH for with some kid off the bench who's like me – getting about a hit every other week. That would just make me mad. But, uh, no, maybe that's where it's at. If it was up to me, I, I think all the new rules that were implemented, like, early in our lifetime or right before our lifetime, like the DH, the wild card, uh, stuff like that, that all just makes me mad. But maybe that's, like, the one thing I'm crotchety and old about. I'm typically a pretty new school guy, so who knows. And it's fine. It's fine to have nuanced opinions about stuff. But to your point about, you know, when you're younger, the best player is always the shortstop and the pitcher. You're right, and usually the, the pit, middle, yeah. usually the pitcher is batting third, and I'm fine with that because he's the best at both things. But it did it did used to make me mad in high school when you would have a guy like you know back on on our high school team we had a couple of guys who were pitchers and were really good hitters, mm-hmm. but when they pitched they didn't get to hit, and that did that did yeah. frustrate me because yeah. they had the ability to do it. My point is, don't make somebody that can't do it go out there and try to do it, you know? Yeah, and I guess my last, like, this is my last counterpoint, probably, like, good counterpoint, but if we did institute the DH in both leagues, that would rob us of the joys of guys like Bartolo Colon. It's true. Who wants every time swings, hits a bomb. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. The, you know, 0.1% of the time where something like that happens, <laughs> it's great. It's kind of like, to me, when, you know, it's the 17th inning, and you've got to put in your backup shortstop to pitch. That's fun because it only happens every so often. Uh-huh. You know, if the short st- backup shortstop had to pitch every other day, I would kind of get over it pretty quick, I think. And that's where I'm at. Mm-hmm. But we're not going to solve this here. I mean, I think we solved it. We have differing opinions, sure. but you know, I think this is the debate to end all debates about it. But we're not having the DH now. It's probably coming later. We'll talk about it when that happens. Absolutely. Let Bartolo hit. That's all I care about. Every team has a DH except the team Bartolo's on. He That's has to hit for himself. Good rule. Good rule. All right, I'm in. Sign me up. Sign me up. All right, what's next? <laughs> the next thing on my list to talk about is the All-Star ballots came out a couple of weeks ago. We're not going to do our All-Star ballots here on this pod. We're going to have a pod maybe next week, maybe the week after, a little closer to the game. We really dive into it, give you our All Stars, the actual All Stars. Do you know off the top the of your head or any idea when the All Star game is? It's usually like the second week of July, yeah. I think. So we got a, like we got two or three weeks. Okay. Um, and before that happens, before the teams are announced, we'll give you, you know, we'll go through our list and make our arguments of who we think should be in it. But the reason I want to touch on this is because the uh, the first or second update came out a couple of days ago. I don't know, and like every. Atlanta Brave was in the top three at his position, it, including I think three starters. Yeah, from the fan vote. Yeah, this Freeman, so Albies, and was it Marquez? Marquez yeah. are starting, and then Dansby, Ender, Acuna, and Johan Camargo are all in the top four at their position, which uh-huh. makes no sense to me, Lewis. No. I'm used to. A, I want a life where Freddie Freeman is arguably the best hitter in the league, and I have to tweet vote Freddie Freeman a thousand times right. the day before they announce it for him to get in. This is like a couple of years ago when the Royals had every one of their position players were starting in the All-Star game for a while. Like, I don't understand oh, what's God. happening. What's yeah. happening? 
Well, and I, I can't remember exactly what year it was. It was around 2012, 2013, 2014. Uh, there was one year where the Blue Jays were doing that kind of thing. So, no, every year that's like a different team that just shows out in mass. A, a random team guys. just decides to vote in mass. Exactly. And every year I make fun of those teams thinking like, oh, that's all y'all have. You know, you don't have like actual championships. You don't have actual <laughs> hopes. So, therefore, you just vote your guys in an all-star game. And it's weird. This year, that's the Braves. Uh, when, I, when I first heard that Albies was going to, you know, possibly play in the all-star game, I was like, He's not playing too well lately, but his first month or two of the season was so good. You know, it's whatever. And, of course, yeah. Marquez and Freeman have been fantastic. But, uh, no, when you told me that you guys like Camargo, uh, those Kurt, Kurt dudes, Suzuki is third among catchers. Kurt Suzuki is the second best catcher on the Braves. The Braves' backup catcher is third in the league. So, in yeah, do I like the fact that Braves are doing it? I won't say I like it or dislike it, but it's odd to me. It's very odd It's for just sure. weird. I mean, I don't <sighs> – it's it's a strange thing because usually when that happens, like when the Royals did it a couple of years ago, they're like hammering Twitter. You know, they're yep. pushing hard, vote for our guys, vote for our guys. And the Braves aren't really doing that. No, to my definitely. Knowledge, yeah. You know, it's just kind of an organic thing, and it's fine as long as Johan Camargo isn't starting at third base. Sure. And I don't think he will be. I'm cool with it. But to your odd to your Aussie point, I think we we'll just dive into the Braves portion of the podcast Do right it. here. It's time. Um, Freddie Freeman obviously deserves to be an All Star. Markakis obviously deserves obviously. to be an All Star. You look at Ozzy Albies' line as a whole, it doesn't really say all-star to me. You mm-hmm. know, we were talking before the pod, his on-base percentage is abysmal right now. Mm-hmm. He's not making enough contact. He's not walking at all. He's playing fantastic defense, and he's hitting home runs. And, you know, all that turns out to a pretty valuable player. Uh, I don't think it's an all-star, but then I got to looking at the list, and it's like Ozzy and Javier Baez are the only two yeah. reasonable options. And in that scenario, I'm going with my guy. I'm going with Ozzy. He's a backup to me for sure. Now, Scooter Jeanette with the Reds is having a pretty good season. Yeah, it should probably be Scooter. It, it should it, probably this, be Scooter. Yeah, if, it ended, if the voting ended right now, I'd vote Scooter. But no, Ozzy Albies absolutely, you know, in this case, has a case for being the backup second baseman. So if you take a guy who should be the backup and make him the starter, that's not the worst deal in the world. The worst stuff is kind of like you mentioned with Johan Camargo. If Johan Camargo somehow got Ender, voted... Ender Enciarte. Oh, and I love Ender, but yeah, that would be horrific if yeah. either of them were named the All-Star team. So let's let's transition past the All-Star game and talk about the Braves, who we actually have a question here. We'll try to read it word for word. I don't have the Twitter pulled up. It was from listener Tyler Presley, who yes. asked about... The the teams that are overachieving to this point, the teams that we thought were not going to be, you know, in first place, and here they are in first place, specifically the Braves and the Mariners. So, I mean, we're going to talk about the Braves more than the Mariners because we know more about it, so we'll uh-huh. talk about that first. The Braves are in first place. I believe they're three and a half games up on the Nationals. They I believe tied for the best record in the NL. Tied with the Brewers, right? Yeah. The three, game, three, and a half game, three and a half games ahead of the hated Washington Nationals. But Actually, I, I'm looking at it right now. A half game ahead of the Brewers. The Reds are the best record in the NL. Best record in the league, Lewis. We're yeah. halfway through June. No one thought we would be here. Um, not even us. We did our no. we did our preview pod. We no. did not have the Braves in first place. Why am I still worried about this team? Why am I still worried about this team's offense specifically? Because, I mean, we were talking about this probably 30 minutes ago right before we started the pod, where as good as the Braves hitting has been, you know, the Braves have been one of the four or five best hitting teams in baseball, we still have no idea who should be at the top of the order. I mean, between Albies, Swanson, 
Enciarte, and Camargo. That's four guys who going into the season you thought those guys could be one or two hitters, and not a one of them has proven they can consistently be the guy. I mean, Albies looked awesome for a while. That's gone. Camargo has made no contact this season, but has maintained a pretty good OBP because he takes walks, he finds other ways to get on base, but that's still not good enough. Dansby, of course, actually both Dansby and Ender are both primarily defensive guys who, if they could just take that step, would be premier players in baseball, but have yet to do that. It It's strange to me because if you look, you can look at it one of two ways. You can look at it as the Braves have one of the best offenses in the league and they have yet to really get anything out of Ender Enciarte. Dansby's been hit or miss. Ozzy's not living up to you know what we hoped he would be on offense despite the power. Mm-hmm. And they're still one of the best offenses in the league, not to mention Ronald Acuna, who's been out for the last four weeks. He might be the X factor for all we I don't think he's the guy that you end up putting you know in that two-hole and stabilizing the top of the order. Sure. But you know those guys aren't giving you what you thought you'd get out of them. And they're still one of the best offenses in the league. Right. So on that hand, I think, okay, well, it should get better, right? Or at least maintain where it's at. The other hand, I'm thinking Nick Markakis is having the best year of his career. You know, we're getting contributions from Charlie Culberson. Yeah, which is insane to me. You know, we still have probably the most productive catching duo in the league with Tyler Flowers and Kurt Suzuki, who, you know, I love those guys, but they're not this good of hitters. Mm-hmm. And I just see it – you know. I don't see it continuing, and I'm worried about it. You know, I'm looking at the Fangraphs Braves page right now, and by on-base percentage, the best three guys on the team are Freddie Freeman, Tyler Flowers, and Nick Markakis. So we were joking a minute ago that Nick Markakis should actually be the leadoff hitter uh-huh. because, I mean, he gets on base, he carries a high batting average, and Good Freddie contact, Freeman should yeah. probably hit second because if you go full analytics, full new wave stats, your best hitter usually hits second. Mm-hmm. But Brian Snicker is not going to do that. So now you're forced to just throw these guys up at the top of the order, and Freddie Freeman's coming up every single first inning with two outs and nobody on. And it's frustrating to me. No, it's a story for another day, but I'm not the biggest fan of Brian Snicker for a whole lot of reasons. But once again, that's going to take too much time for this pod. The one thing I'll say going for the Braves over the past month that I've noticed, and let me go back even farther, going into the season, I did not have a whole lot of worries about the lineup. I thought you know they'd be an okay hitting team, but they turned out luckily to be a very good hitting team. My worry rested with the pitching staff, which for the first month or so of the season, I think I was right in that opinion. They looked sure. very shaky a whole lot of the time. Definitely. But now, I mean, you got Fulton Avich, who has stepped up big time, and in my opinion, been the best pitcher on the team this year. You've got Newcomb, who has been every bit as good and might, might be a more consistent guy. He might not have the high highs, you know, the 10, 11, 12 strikeout games. He's very good in his own right. And Soroka was our top pitching prospect for a reason. And as long as he stays healthy, I think he's going to continue to impress. So if the Braves can solidify the back end of that rotation with guys like, you know, Julio Tehran, Luis Gohara, Max Freed, maybe they trade for a guy. I don't know. I think they'll be in fine position to kind of continue riding it out. Speaking of trade for a guy, we should mention that the Nationals traded for Kelvin Herrera yesterday. Too. Dude, I kind of wanted I kind of wanted the Braves to get him, too. I mean, the Nationals paid a pretty heavy price for him. They paid three top 30 prospects in their own system, I think. Yeah, but really, I mean, I like those prospects. The, the two guys I like with their numbers, I think 10 and 11 prospects, yeah. they were pretty good. The other guy, like you mentioned, was top 30, but I kind of like the trade for the Nationals. I mean, they're a team that was predicted to go maybe not all the way, but definitely win the division at the start of the year. They've got to make a run at this point. They're three and a half back, or three back, I can't remember. They're three They're three or three and a half back. I think on paper they're still the best team, mm-hmm. but you know they're kind of coming to the close of their window here. Daniel Murphy's a free agent. Bryce Harper famously is a free agent. 
Um, you know, Max Scherzer, even though he's the best pitcher on the planet, mm-hmm. he's getting a little older. You know, you can't really trust Strasburg for more than, you know, 140 or so innings. I think this is the year that they have to go for it. So I totally get it from their point of view. I don't know if I would, if I was if I'm the Braves. I don't know if I would have traded equivalent prospects for Herrera. I agree. I might have, but I would have thought about it. Um, you know, I, that's a pretty high pro- price to pay. But I do think the Braves will end up going to land a bullpen piece. I think they've got to if they want to stay in this race. So that brings us back. Let's answer Tyler's question: Do the Braves? hold their position, are they going to challenge for this division all the way through the end of September, or are they kind of going to peter out and fall somewhere in the low to mid-80s wins? Are they going to challenge for the division? Yes, absolutely. I think the Braves will be there in September battling for the division. Now, that, in my opinion, winning the division is a whole different story. Two different things. Yeah, if you had to give me $100 right now or take 100 of my own money and just say, who are you betting it on? I'd still be tempted to say the Nationals just because surely Bryce Harper at some point is going to start hitting. They're going to get healthy, and they're going to be that team with an ace like Max Scherzer to be built for that run, whereas the Braves are two or three guys just going cold away from losing it all. You know, If we wake up tomorrow and Freddie Freeman gets hurt. Oh, maybe, God forbid. Yeah, or maybe a guy like, say, Sean Nuka, Max Soroka, uh, starts petering out, then, yeah, we'd be in a lot of trouble. Yeah, I think on, on paper the Nationals have a better roster top to bottom. I think they're still the favorites, even though they're you know a few games behind at this uh-huh. point. But I do think that the Braves are a good team. I think yeah. they're a good team. They're a probably true talent, I would say, 85-ish win team, which is better than I thought they were going to be coming into the season. And they're already you know, what, 13, 14 games over 500. Uh-huh. So those wins are banked. Johan Camargo just hit a ball to Montreal. Woo. Go Braves. Oh, that's a grand slam. Grand slam, four to nothing. Lord Go Braves. Um, so on that happy note, I think the Braves are gonna win the division because oh, wow. Johan Camargo <laughs> just hit a, a grand like a slam. Good no, I think I think I agree with you. I think they're gonna be in the race till the end of the season. And I think they're probably gonna settle in and be battling for a wild card spot. And I think they'll probably get a wild card. And Lewis, I don't think I can handle another wild card game as a fan. Oh, I was at the first one at the TED, it was miserable. It was fantastic, and then it was miserable. <laughs> I don't know if I can handle that emotionally, um, but I think that's where we're at. So the second team he asked about was the Mariners. I've got their fan graphs page pulled up right now. They are also in first place. They have Not fought by as many games, though, right? No, they are currently two games up on the Astros. No, actually, I lied. They They're are two, two, games games back two games back of the Astros. The Astros are also on a 12-game winning streak. The Astros have won 12 games in a row. The Mariners were in first place until a couple of days ago. What about the Mariners, all right? Their best player going into the season is Robbie Cano. Mm-hmm. He's you know, gone, yeah. He, he's gone, out for the majority of the season, and then will not be available should they make the playoffs. They, One of their second best players is D. Gordon, who they were playing out of position until Robbie Cano got hurt. Yep. Uh, King Felix, RIP. They got James Paxton. I'm looking at this team, though, and I just don't love it. How are they doing what they're doing? How are they... 20 games above 500 this late in the season. Well, number one, I think one thing they've done is they've got a lot more out of their pitching staff than I think they expected because we knew going into the season that James Pax was pretty good. I mean, I think he's predicted, predicted to be a top 15, top 20 best pitcher in baseball as this year. As long as he stays healthy, he's one of the best guys in the world. Oh, no, no, yeah. He, he was predicted to be a pretty good guy, and he's been a great pitcher. They've got, they've got more production than I expected from the guys like uh, Kyle Seager, D. Gordon, who, even though they're good players, are playing even better than I thought they would. Gene and, Segura. No, no, he's been great this year. The Mariners, in my opinion, are in a very similar position to the Braves in the way that, you know, you get into the first month of the season, 20, 30 games in, and you're in first place, and it's like, okay, it's not time to freak out. Let's see what we've got. Ride it out a little bit. Now you're 70 games in the season, almost to the all-star break, 
Uh, I don't want to say you like have to make a move, go out and make a trade, go out and get somebody. But it's time to start thinking seriously about this playoff contention because uh, you know the Braves, I think, are set for a long time. The Mariners are in a weird position of uh, they don't have a great farm system. They don't have a ton of young guys. Maybe the worst in the league. When you've got a window, you've got to go. And so, like I said, the Braves, I hope they go, but I, I don't need them to. If you're the Mariners uh, fans, if you're a GM there, now is your window. I think you've got to do something. I think if you're... I'm blanking on the Mariners GM's name, but if you're in his position, you have to do whatever you can to supplement this roster. I mean, I'm just parroting what you said, but the farm system's awful. You know, they long term, you know, some of their best players are Robinson Cano, Nelson Cruz. Yep. You know, Felix Hernandez isn't their best player, but he's one of their highest paid players. Yep. Guys that aren't going to help you in the, you know, two, three years down the line. And let's be honest, if they don't make a deep playoff run here, they're probably cleaning house in the front out front office. You would think you know? so, yeah. You're probably if you're one of those you're one of those guys in the front office, you're looking for a new job. So, I don't know what they can do. I'm looking at this roster right now, and after James Paxton, I mean that that pitching staff is kind of ugly. You know, you're looking at Marco Gonzalez, Wade LeBlanc, you know, Mike Leak. Shout out Wade LeBlanc on my fantasy team. Wade LeBlanc, keep getting them checks, man. He's been <laughs> solid, I guess. But Jerry Depoto is the Jerry. Dude. I man, I, I knew that name. I, I knew it was that. Jerry Depoto. So. He's on borrowed time anyway, I think. Yep. You know, he's known yep. for making a ton of trades, and he, he he better make some here to supplement this roster because as currently constructed, I just don't buy it. I mean, we, we've got to – while we're talking about the Mariners, we've got to talk about how good Edwin Diaz is. He's fantastic. Oh, he's probably the – He might be the best closer in the league. I mean, yeah. I, I always defer to Craig Kimbrell, but he is – He's worth almost two Fangraphs wins already as a relief pitcher, which his, is him and Chapman are neck and neck. It's, ri- it's ridiculous. How jo- Josh Hader is not a closer, is he? No, he's not a closer. Because he's stupid. Good. Josh Hader was he got like a hundred strikeouts and four walks or yeah. something ridiculous. Save it for the Josh Hader pod. <laughs> Edwin Diaz is fantastic. James Paxton is fantastic. But if one of those guys goes down, this pitching staff is in shambles. Oh, you yeah. know, I mean, Absolutely. they've got to add an arm, and we'll probably do a pretty big trade deadline pod sometime next month too uh, yeah that and the all-star pod are two i'm excited no, they're, they're both coming but to answer tyler's question i think yes the braves contend and i would kind of be surprised if the mariners made the playoffs mm-hmm. so i mean maybe that's shocking that i take the braves half of this debate but i just think if you look at it i think that's where you're at the, the mariners need some significant help to stay in the race not to mention the fact that they're in the astros division mm-hmm. who the astros are probably the best team in the league so. i think you're probably right about that so is there any other baseball topics you want to talk about while we're here? That's the last thing I had written down. Uh, no, I mean, we, we've talked about saving the all-star debate for later, so I think we can definitely do that. Uh, you talked to me about maybe talking some NBA draft coverage, so I'm so down for that. Yes, yes. The NBA draft is in two days. We're recording this on a Tuesday night, and draft coverage is everywhere. I'm seeing, yep. you know, I'm getting mock drafts sent, sent to my phone from every app I've got, you know, listening to podcasts, reading articles about the draft. This is – I love the draft. I love mock drafts. Every sport. It's one of my favorite times of year in every sport. So we don't have a ton of time left. We're over half an hour already. So we're not going to do our own mock draft. Mm-hmm. But let's – I thought we could maybe, you know, just maybe go through the top ten, talk about yeah. some of the guys. Talk through a little bit. Who we think, you know, where, where we think they should go, how we think they stack up to some other guys. So usually when you talk about a mock draft, Lewis, we would start at the top. We would go from the top down, start at number one, and work our way back. But – I've got another listener question from Alex Piercy who asks, what are the Grizzlies going to do to break my heart? As a Grizzlies oh, fan, yeah. Lewis, 
What are the Grizzlies going to do to break your heart? We've been talking about it off mic a little bit here, but let the people know. What are your thoughts? Who do you want the Grizzlies to get? Sure. What is the worst-case scenario for you as a Grizzlies fan? No, and we were actually literally just kind of saying something about this. So here's kind of the way it goes for me. And like I said, we're not going to go through all of our mock draft picks, but I'll just kind of give you my like nightmare scenario right now. So number one, I mean, DeAndre Ayton's going number one. I don't think anybody can debate that. It will be a very big surprise on draft night if Phoenix takes – a non-Aiden player. So that's definitely going to happen. Uh, more and more reports are coming out linking Sacramento to Marvin Bagley. That's probably going to happen. That one's a little less set in stone, but I think Bagley's probably going there. Where it gets interesting is, you know, with the three and four picks, because apparently Atlanta and Memphis are both big on Jaron Jackson, but Atlanta is supposedly into Trey Young. I, really? I hope they tra- take Trey Young number three. I don't know if it's going to happen or not, but for me, worst case scenario would be they take Trey Young number three, which opens up the Grizzlies to take Luka Doncic number four. It's all finally coming into, into, into place, <laughs> but then they take Jaron Jackson, who by all means is an excellent athlete, has a lot of upside in the NBA, but I think Doncic could be you know one of those transcendent European players who comes over. They're a big-time passer, big-time playmaker, can affect the games in a whole lot of ways. And we take a guy from Michigan State who might be a tweener without a ton of positional um, certainty. Yeah. To me, Jaron Jackson and Mo Bamba is kind of like this for me as well. They're going to be good NBA players. Sure. Like They're going to be good rim protectors. They can both shoot a little bit. They're going to give you some stretchiness on offense. Good team defenders. But I don't see Mo Bamba or Jaron Jackson being transcendent superstars. Sure. And Doncic could be that. He could be a superstar. And most of the guys that, that I listen to, most of the you know, the blog boys that I read and, and hear their opinions and mock drafts that I, you know, look at, first of all, they all say Aiden is going number one. Mm-hmm. But almost all of them also say that Doncic is the best prospect in the draft. Sure. I don't know, I mean, we we aren't, you know, watching a ton of tape, at least I'm not. From what I've seen, he looks really good, but I also understand the other side of the argument of we haven't really seen a European wing come in and really transcend the league and be one of the upper echelon guys since Manu Ginobili. That's right. been, you know, 15 years ago. So where do you fall on it? Where do you see him developing into as a player? I mean, he won the MVP of the second best league in the world at 18 years old. Right. I mean, that's got to count for something, right? No, and I think there's a lot of fear of European prospects in the NBA over the past 10, 15 years, just because we've seen a lot of those stow-and-go guys who never come back. Bargnani. Right. Well, he wasn't that. But. No, but, but we've seen busts, kind of like Bargnani. We've seen guys like Ricky Rubio who came into the league and everyone thought they're going to be this transcendent player, and they turned out to be okay, but right. not quite what they thought they were going to be. Now, luckily, I think that Kristaps Porzingis in New York City has kind of alleviated a little bit of that fear, because if you remember, when he got drafted, the Knicks fans were... Furious at Phil oh, Jackson, yeah. and that turned out to be the only thing Phil Jackson ever did for that city. His best contribution in his time as general manager. That's the only good thing he ever did. So no, Donich, I think will be okay. Um, where I see him developing, I'm trying to think of like a good comparison for him, and I'm really just not coming up with one. But I think he will be one of those guys who is an excellent playmaker. Maybe not an excellent score, but a good enough one. You know, to right. play at an all-star level. Where I worry about him is kind of on the defensive side of the ball. Because I've talked to some friends about this who, who say he's not necessarily out of shape. Right. But compared to NBA players, he's got a little dough on him. He's not, sure. he's not a, a great A athlete. So that'll be where I'm interested in seeing him. But I think he can be at an all-star level for sure. You know who else isn't a great A athlete? James Harden. And he's dunking on the oh, no, yeah. And Right now, Doncic is playing in the Spanish League. And at halftime of every game, those guys are like, 
pounding natties and yeah. smoking cigars, you know? So this is not... The way basketball ought to be. Right. I mean, the way it used to be in America, you yeah. know, in the 70s. Back, you know, in, in Joe Simpson's day. You're like cocaine. Sure, you know, if you're into that sort of thing. But definitely cigarettes. <laughs> and once he gets over into the NBA, gets into an NBA workout program, I think that those kind of questions are going to go away. I'm really curious to see where he ends up. Because if he goes to Sacramento, I'm out. I think he's, you know... Oh, yeah. That's a cesspool. Bust. You know, he's going to turn into the worst version of Paige Stoyakovich. But if he goes to a good organization, you know, I don't know. I hate to say it, but I don't know that Memphis counts (laughs) or Atlanta. They don't draft well. They don't don't draft well. You know, (laughs) the list of guys the Grizzlies have passed on over the last few years. I'm not going to read it to you because you'd start crying on the pod. We don't want to hear that. But... If he were to fall to Dallas, which I don't even know if Dallas is a good organization at this point, but if he, go, yeah, if he goes to a good situation, I think he could be a superstar, and I think he's probably got the most upside. But moving on from him, we talk about, let's talk about Aiton and Jackson and Bamba, the, the three guys who are, I guess, most similar to me, looking from the outside in. They're, uh-huh. they're big-time centers. They're... You know, long, freak athletic guys. Aiton's the best prospect, I think, because he's the best offensive player. Uh But all three of these guys seem to me like they're going to be good defensive guys who can shoot a little bit. And I don't know what the upside is there. I mean, is there, is one of them going to turn into Anthony Davis? Maybe. But I feel like you're getting a lot of like old Larry Sanders action out of these three guys. So why, I guess here, let me drill down to my question. With the NBA going full positionless, everybody six seven can shoot threes, can handle. Why are three of the top five guys seven footers who sure. really can't handle the ball? Well, I mean, a couple things I'll say real quick. I mean, this is probably a really cold take right here, but of all those three guys, I think Aiden has by far the best future in the NBA. Sure, just because I cannot remember the last time we've seen a seven footer in the NBA with as much just offensive game as he's got. You know, he can move people around on the block. He can get those easy shots down low, but he can also kind of extend it out to the three-point line, which, of course, is not near as rare in the NBA as it is in college basketball. But, you know, he's a very mature offensive game. And I think what a lot of teams see in Aiden is the potential for him to become a big two-way player because kind of the criticism of him back in Arizona is that he puts in a low effort. He doesn't pay a lot of attention to the defensive game. And sometimes I wonder, is that on Aiden or is it, you know, on the fact that he's playing under Sean Miller, who, in my opinion, uh, is a terrible X's and O's coach. Buffalo would agree with you. Yeah, I mean, great recruiter, whether it be clean or not. But, um, yeah, he's not an X's and O's guy. So I think Aiden has potential. Maybe not to be a two-way star in the NBA, but to play good enough defense to where it doesn't take anything away from his absolute, possibly uh, incredible offense. Now, Jaron Jackson, a minute ago, I kind of called positionless. I'm not going to go that far because I mean, he's a big man. No one debates that. He guards on the perimeter, though. He, he, he definitely outside. does. He, he might be the most versatile of all those guys. But, uh, you know, we used to have a word in the NBA for guys like that called tweeners, yeah. where they weren't quite big enough to be big men, but weren't quite small enough to play on the wing. So, Jackson, I don't want to label like that because he could prove me wrong and be the next you know, Draymond Green or someone who can just play all around the court. But uh, I'm not betting on him. I'm not huge on him. And Mo Bamba, I think, has a ton of potential in the way that he could block three shots a game. If he, sure. if he learns an offensive game, he could be an easy, consistent 15-10 guy every night. Now, the only issue I have with Mo Bamba, and it's the issue a lot of guys have with him, is that he's seven foot tall and somehow only weighs a little bit more than I do. 
Yeah. I mean, so there's, yeah. there's potential that he gets to the NBA and he runs into the, those big guys, the guys like uh, DeMarcus Cousins, the guys like Anthony Davis. And, you know, Anthony Davis is even a huge guy, but I think he could throw around Mo Bamba easy right now. All these guys have some growing left to do. You know, most of them are 18, 19 years yeah. old. And when Davis came, when Anthony Davis came to the league, he was a skinny guy. That's you know, true, Same yeah. kind of knocks, and he grew into his body. He grew into his frame. But I'm trying to... To decide how to steer this thing, mm-hmm. I think what here's what I was gonna say. Mo Bamba has really shot up towards the top five of most people's mocks because he put out that YouTube video of himself shooting corner threes. And he made like <laughs> he made like 15 in a row. And everyone's like, oh my goodness, this guy can shoot. And that's apparently been a work in progress. Apparently, he's been like really drilling himself on threes. Well, you have to. Months. I mean, you have to in the NBA in 2018. You have to be able to at least serviceably knock down a three point shot, right. which is. Different than we've seen in years past. But moving on from the big guys, Aiton's going number one. Uh, you said Bagley's probably going number two for yep. better or worse. And I don't like Bagley. I just think he's like an all-star or anything off the bat. <laughs> Everything I've heard about Bagley is he's going to get buckets. Like yeah. He's going to get his numbers. Seems like the perfect guy to go to the Kings. You know, Get your 22 and 10 and don't make the playoffs. You know? With him, I'm just like, what if he's you know Jabari Parker, who everyone thought was an extremely polished offensive player sure. in college, and then you get the pros, and all of a sudden guys are a lot better than him in college. It's true. It could happen. He's got some questions, but I mean, he was probably the best player in college basketball last year, so I could also see him being an absolute superstar. True. Um, but moving on to number three, you got the Hawks. Everything I've heard is that they like Jaron Jackson. If they actually have the chance to pick Doncic, I don't know why they wouldn't, but yeah. apparently they wouldn't. Let's just say, for the sake of the argument, they take Jackson. Your Grizzlies will give him Doncic, you know, even though that would be the smart pick. And I'm not sure we can count on the Grizzlies to make the smart pick. Yeah. So then, who goes five to the Mavericks? Is it is it Trey Turner or Trey Turner? Is it Trey Young? Trey time? Young. Yep. Is it Trey Young? Time? Uh, no, not quite. And Trey Young, I think, is an interesting case because over the past couple of months, you know, every insider, every mock draft guy. They discussed Trey Young kind of in that seven to ten range. They're kind of the middle of the lottery, which I think would be a fine place for Trey Young to go because I'm not convinced he's going to be a poor man Steph Curry. He's not going to be a star in this league. I think he can be a very serviceable point guard who sticks around for a while. But the second I started seeing rumors of him going as high as like three, four, five, that's when you're like, okay, how valuable is the average starting point guard in the NBA? Because you want you want a good starting point guard, but um, they don't just grow on trees. And Trey Young, I don't see. Uh, having the athleticism, having the body to really compete at the, in the upper echelons yeah. of the NBA point guards. This is a guy who is one of those guys who is small. I mean, he's yeah, oh, he's yeah. listed at 6'1", 178, so he's probably smaller than that. I'm going to disagree with a little bit with what you said. You right. think he could be a solid starting point guard. I think I think he's either going to be like a bona fide superstar, okay. a guy who – not Steph Curry because nobody's Steph Curry, but a guy who goes out and gets you like 28 a night, okay. you know, just – Fills it up on the offensive end, or I think he's going to go the Jimmer for that route and be playing in China in five years. Yeah, because it depends I, on how he adapts his game. Because I don't think he's got defensively. He can't guard. He's too small. Yeah, uh, he's like and, Steph Curry in that. Right, that right. And Steph Curry's he's not even as big as Steph Curry. You know, Steph Curry's a solid 6'3", 200 pounds. Yeah. You know, Trey Young can he can dream about being that big. <laughs> he's not close to that big. So if he's not. You know, getting buckets, filling up the stat sheet on offense. I don't understand. I don't. I just don't see what he's doing. Like if he's a high volume shooter who's, you know, getting you fifteen or sixteen a night. I just don't see where that has a place in the league. I guess. So, I think he's a boomer bust guy. I think he is a guy that you take, you know, at the back end of the top ten and hope you strike. You know, lightning strikes and you get a superstar. But oh, yeah. I, I wouldn't count on it. No, and this is a really interesting draft in my opinion because there's a couple of guys 
who are at the top of the board, like him, Marvin Bagley, even you know your number one pick, possibly DeAndre Ayton, who could be big boomer bus guys. Sure. They might be all-stars for the next 10 years. You might be talking about them in the same sentence as Anthony Bennett, uh, people like that in the future. Complete burnouts. Yeah, it's, it, it's definitely a high upside draft. You've even got guys like Kevin Knox, who, who I hate, who wasn't great at Kentucky. You know, he tore Tennessee's heart out a couple of times. Yep. But he was kind of like the third or fourth best player on that team, but now he's working out for teams. He's 6'9". He's shooting. He's handling the ball at the perimeter. And people are thinking, you know, this is the perfect guy for the NBA now. He's a 6'8", 6'9", wing yep. who can do everything. He could be a superstar, or he could be the guy who was at Kentucky. Just kind of, you know, meh. I mean, yeah, the, the mock I'm looking at right now has Wendell Carter going to Cleveland number 8. He was... Uh, very clearly the second best player at Duke this past year. Yeah, I don't know enough about Wendell Carter to talk you know, intelligently about him. Trust me, I don't either. <laughs> so we'll skip Wendell Carter. The next most interesting pick to me is Cleveland at eight. Uh-huh. What do you do if you're the Cavs? Because you're at a crossroads of your franchise, right? I mean, LeBron is either going to stay or he's going to go. If he stays, you're going to be good. You're probably going to win the East. And if he leaves, you're probably going in the tank. Yep. So what do you do at eight? Do you try to trade that Ooh. pick? to entice LeBron to stay or do you just consign yourself to the fact that he's leaving and build for the future? I mean, it sucks that they can't wait out LeBron's decision because the draft is in two days. Uh, but my thing about the whole LeBron thing is is you can't count on him to be around in my personal opinion because no. uh, the last time that happened, they took Shabazz Napier there in the first round because LeBron loved the guy and then the LeBron heat. bolted. Yeah, the the I, heat did that. Yeah, Miami. I'm sorry. Yeah. You're definitely right about that. So, uh, no, you can do whatever you want to do that you think LeBron will stick around for. But, uh, I mean, if the Cavs take a guy like Wendell Carter, Kevin Knox, and look at other guys, you know, Colin Sexton, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, if you're LeBron, do any of those guys radically affect your opinion? No. Because, yeah, in my opinion, they don't at all. No. So, I think if you stay at eight, obviously you just draft the best player available. Uh, if you think that you can do better next year, which by all means, some people are saying that next year's draft class might be better than this one. If you want to deal by taking maybe kind of, kind of trying to reload for next year's draft, you can do that. But, no, the Cavs are rocking a hard place where I don't think this draft really makes them any better. I think that if they – I like the way you put it. You can't count on LeBron. No. I mean – We'll have, I love LeBron. I, yeah, we're, we're another. We're just plugging future pods here. We're gonna have a big LeBron pod. We're gonna have a big NBA free agency pod where we'll talk about LeBron in more detail. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, the way he set up his contracts going forward is he's gonna be on one year deals, and you're gonna have to deal with this every year because he wants to be in control of his career. Which I mean, you can't blame a guy for that, but it puts the team in a tough spot. Where if I'm the Cavs, I just assume he's gone. You know, yeah. I think you have to assume he's gone and take the best player available. At least for the next two or three weeks. Oh, I mean, you, you can do everything you want to to try and entice LeBron to stay, but at the end of the day, it's going to be does he want to stay home or is he going to win? Yeah, that's it. He's either going to stay in Cleveland and finish his career there, or he's going to go try to win championships somewhere else. And if if I'm the Cavs, I go to LeBron and I say, look, if you'll sign if you'll sign an extension with us just for next year, not even long term, just give me one more year, then we'll trade this pick. We'll go all in to try to get Paul George. We'll see, you know, they don't have any assets, but let's see if we can cobble together enough to get Kawhi Leonard and we'll make a run at this thing. But if you don't do that, I'm sitting where I am and I'm taking the best player available. And that brings me to my next point is who do you think the best player available would be for the Cavs? Because I kind of think a guy who's a little underrated in this draft is Colin Sexton. And maybe okay. it's because I watched him so much, you know, being a Tennessee fan, watched him against Alabama two or three times this past year. He's just a really talented point guard to sure. He's always in control on offense. You know, the shot's not great, but it's pretty good, and he's a nasty defender. I think he's going to be a really good player in the league. See, and I, I'm going to differ with you on that one because I like Colin Sexton, kind of like you. I got to watch a whole lot of this past yeah, year. He tore the balls uh, up. 
Yeah, he is potential. I mean, he's a really good offensive player. I mean, he can go out there each night and get you 20 points a game sometime in the near future. But, uh, yeah, I'm not thinking of him as an athlete. I don't think he's going to be um, kind of the body that you want in the NBA. I hate focusing so much on the kind of physicality of the game, but he's listed at, I think I'm reading right now, 6'2", 185 on nine. That's smaller than I thought he was. He seems yeah. to play bigger than that. Yeah, and he's a little bigger than the Trey Young type guys, but not really by a whole lot at all. Uh, and once again, I'm not taking anything away from sex. I think he'll be a good player. But uh, nothing too crazy. If I'm the Cavaliers, I hate doing this, but I like looking at the boomer bust kind of guys. You know, the guys who are either going to kind of flame out or they're going to be around for five or ten years. And kind of looking around there, I like Michael Porter. I don't know if he falls that far because they're picking at number eight. But if they get Michael Porter, do you risk uh, the whole back issues with him? I don't like my 19-year-old rookie NBA players to have, like, chronic back problems. I don't like my 25-year-old history teachers having back problems. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I've had a little bit of back trouble, and I don't like it. He's had a lot of back trouble. Yeah. Um, so I don't love that pick. He seems to be, you know, securely going in the top eight to somebody. There's uh-huh. even rumors about maybe the Kings taking him as high as two, which Ooh. I think would be ridiculous. Michael Porter Jr. is the kind of guy who I would love to draft at, like, 15. Sure. You get him at 15, he comes in, he's healthy, and he's a superstar. Because he was the number one recruit coming out of high school last year, I believe. And didn't play at all at Missouri because his back was hurt. Mm-hmm. So, if I'm at 8, I think that's just too rich for me. I think someone's going to take Michael Carter, Michael Porter Jr. Good grief, I'm looking at Wendell Carter's page. Someone's going to take Michael Porter Jr. before I'm willing to take him, I guess is my point. No, Michael Porter, I think if he stays healthy, Michael Porter should enjoy having a very productive NBA career. But once again, back problems in your teenage years, that does not age well in in the future. No, I don't like it at all. Before we get out of here, I want to ask you one more thing about the draft. Give me one guy. I don't know how deeply you've looked into it. Give me a guy who's probably outside the top ten who you think has a chance to be a really impact player. Going into the draft this past couple of weeks, the one guy who I loved watching play in the SEC was John Tay Porter, but he has since withdrawn his name as going back to school. Michael so, Porter's brother, correct? He's definitely correct, who is not as talented as him, but is a very good player in his own right. But the guys who I go down uh, the board kind of looking, just some names stand out to me. Uh, the Ringer did a pretty good job profiling Lonnie Walker the fourth earlier from uh, the University of Miami. He was a freshman yeah. this past year. He's pretty versatile. I think he could be very good. I really like Aaron Holiday, the point guard out of UCLA, and he's got the pedigree of Drew and Justin Holiday. Sure. His brother's in the NBA, so I think they'll have him kind of walking through it. Other than that, I'm not going to lie. This is not a deep draft in my opinion. Yeah, there's not a lot. I'm scrolling through the back end of the first round here, and – you know, there's there's some guys, but nobody I really love. One guy that I do like a lot is Michael Bridges from Villanova. Well, I like Villanova guys in general, like him, Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson, you're probably Jalen Brunson's going to go in the second round to somebody and be like Fred VanVleet. He's going to be like oh, yeah, a absolutely. great backup point guard from day one, and this happens every year. <laughs> but Michael Bridges, watching him play in the tournament with Villanova, he's a guy who. You know, long arms, he's making threes, he's playing defense. I really love his profile. But the guy I like who's securely outside of the top ten, speaking of Villanova guys, I'm going with Dante DiVincenzo. Oh, yeah. The Final four, most outstanding player. Yeah, the mock I just looked at had him in the first round, which is odd to me. Yep, this one's got in. The one I'm looking at here has got him at 29, you know, wow. to the Brooklyn Nets. But doesn't he just seem like a guy that Golden State would take 28 and then he's immediately playing like 15 minutes in the finals. Yeah, I shudder to think what he would do with the Warriors. He's a guy who you know he's going to be able to shoot threes. He's way more athletic than you would think, you know, mm-hmm. being a ginger. Shout out to the gingers. Yeah, that's right. Got to love, love a good ginger. 
But I just think he's going to step in on a good team where he gets drafted in the back end of the first. He's going to go to a good situation. I think he's going to be a contributor right away. Yeah, and once again, he I would be shocked if he's ever a star in the NBA. But in the back half of the draft, you know, kind of that 20 to 30 uh, part of the first round, you're not looking for stars. You're looking for guys who are going to supplement the contenders that you've already got. Right, those are playoff teams who are looking for pieces that can help them moving forward. Absolutely. Well, Lewis, we are well over 50 minutes Unless you've got anything else you need to get off your chest, I think it's time to get out of here. No, once again, I'm excited to talk All-Star break. I'm excited to talk trade deadline, but we will definitely get that in the future. Yep, stay with us. Stay tuned. Thank you so much for being with us. Give us a shout-out on Twitter. Please like the podcast on iTunes. Can you like something on iTunes? I always screw up this outro. Uh, you can rate something. I rate, review. Yes, rate, review us on iTunes. Five-star ratings, please, would be very much appreciated. Follow us on Twitter at InformalUS. Follow him at Rojo. Follow me at Lewis underscore 06. Thank you so much for being with us. Share the pod. Peace. Peace.